This week's episode of the Art of the Cut podcast is brought to you by LaCie. As one of the leading media storage companies in the entertainment industry, LaCie has consistently brought innovative ideas to the market. By now, everyone knows the iconic orange rubber bumper that wraps the LaCie rugged drive. But did you know that LaCie has a rugged SSD? With the ability to transfer 4K raw video with speeds up to 4 megabytes per second, hardware encryption, and a truly rugged design that will take most anything you can throw at it, including dropping it in water or running it over with a two-ton car, the rugged SSD is a dream piece of equipment for any content creator who is on the move. For listeners of the Art of the Cut podcast, LaCie is offering 10% off the rugged SSD or any other LaCie drive when you shop on filmtools.com with coupon code LACIEPOD. That's L-A-C-I-E-P-O-D at checkout to receive 10% off your LaCie purchase on filmtools.com. So next time you need a new drive, head over to filmtools.com and use code LACIEPOD at checkout to get 10% off your LaCie purchase. Hello, and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of filmmaking with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Anne McCabe, ACE. In 2011, Anne was nominated for an Ace Eddie for her editing of an episode of Nurse Jackie. In 2013, she won an Ace Eddie for her editing of an episode of The Newsroom. Her other work includes the films Can You Ever Forgive Me, Dirty Grandpa, Adventureland, and the TV shows Succession and Damages, among others. Today, we're discussing her movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I start the interview describing an interview I had heard with Anne's director, Marielle Heller. She was describing the difference between Tom Hanks, who kind of is big and moves his body like many of us do, you know, gesticulates with his arms, and Mr. Rogers, who, which I never really noticed before, but he, according to her, is very still. He finds his position and he stays there. And I would think that would maybe kind of his quietness might affect the pace of you delivering a, a, a true performance for him. Can you talk about that? Oh, for sure, yes. Um, so, you know, in the original show, it's a kid's show. It's for children and for very young children. And Fred Rogers, when he thought about this, uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, he wanted to look directly into the camera as if speaking to a young child and also, you know, maintaining eye contact, but also taking his time, giving them time to process what he says. I have children, I, they're, they're older now, but when they were young, I was always seeking out these television shows that had, um, that were calm, like spot or something, you know, where not a lot happens because very young children, it's a bit overwhelming for things like, you know, The Lion King and, and you know, Toy Story. Those are fantastic movies, but when they're very young, they need something slow. So for Tom Hanks' performance, he, you know, Mario was always coaching him to go slower and to take his time. And of course, that's a challenge in the edit because, you know, you don't want it to kind of go on forever. But the opening scene, Tom Hanks takes his time, he speaks slowly, and it's almost like you're kind of teaching the audience how this movie's going to be. It's not going to be a quick-paced, slick, fancy, quick-edit kind of movie. When you were trying to decide on the delivery of a line or the pacing of when he speaks compared to someone else speaks, 
did you feel like you needed to uh, regulate that in kind of Mr. Rogers time instead of, uh, you know, a faster paced conversation or um, interaction? Oh, for sure. I mean, like you're very much embracing awkward pauses. I mean, that was the thing about Fred Rogers. He didn't mind having a pause. And there are many scenes in the movie where there's an uncomfortable pause and it feels like the tension rises. I mean, it's sort of counterintuitive in a way, but like having silence actually creates more drama rather than less, you know, rather than quickly cutting away. I mean, there's a good example later in the movie when Chris Cooper is, you know, he's basically on his deathbed and his family's around him and he brings up into the subject that he might not be around anymore. And everyone in the room stops because they don't really want to talk about it. They don't know what to say. And there's a long pause, and, you know, the, the audience really feels it. It sort of makes everything screech to a halt. And then Tom, as Fred, starts to talk about it, and it's like, you know, it's okay to feel that. It's okay to talk about death. It's okay to have these uncomfortable feelings. But certainly, yes, in Tom's performance, I mean, he was very much coached by Mari to be slower and patient and take his time. Those were definitely the takes that we were looking for while we were cutting his performance. One of the things that um, I've talked to a couple of people about in editing movies that are either real true stories or about people that are still alive is because it's a real person, did you feel like you had some kind of obligation because it's a real person that you're dealing with? Oh, for sure. I mean, Mr. Rogers has an incredible following and people are very protective of him. So we felt a huge responsibility to be respectful to his message and the original show. And and also, I think, you know, Mari and Tom Hanks, they weren't going to do some imitation of him. They weren't going to, like, try to be too Southern and, and, like, you know, give him that accent or do his the way he spoke verbatim. You know, it was important to to sort of honor him, but not do like a kind of imitation that might feel cartoonish. I mean, in other ways, we were respectful of the show, too, because, you know, everyone who worked on it did a ton of research, and uh, the people who were involved in the original show were very much involved, I mean, more so in production, because they were in Pittsburgh, Um, but, you know, like his wife and the people that worked on the original show. And in fact, some of them are in the movie as extras, in the scene in the restaurant when it pans across uh, people listening, um, there's Joanne Rogers, his wife, his actual wife is in the in the shot, and the real Mr. McFeely and the real Bill Eisler. So it was important to kind of keep them connected to the show, and also like the way I was editing the, the portions that were the show it, within the movie. You know, I tried to kind of maintain that style, which was not slick. You know, the show was not slick. There was a lot that was very handmade about it. So the cuts were not, like, quick. You know, sometimes there's a little delay. There's a section where it's when we go into the picture-picture and it's about um, how people make a magazine, which is sort of like the, the parts in the show where he would, like, have these little segments where he would, things would happen, like how crayons with me are made or let's go visit a bakery. So when we were cutting that, we kind of very much tried to kind of mimic the style of the show with the same lengths of dissolves and, you know, this is not like a fast-paced moment. 
um, to sort of honor the way that the show was. I've got access to a couple of scenes that the studio gave me, and one of them is a scene where they're actually rolling on the show, and Mr. Rogers is explaining, or Tom Hanks is kind of explaining what a tent is, maybe, and the writer that he's talking about comes and walks into the studio, he sees him in the studio, and he stops shooting. He he acknowledges this guy that's standing there. Can you tell me a little bit about cutting that scene and seeing this the, the unusual nature of Mr. Rogers, kind of his performance and delivery, and how you have to deal with that you know, in that scene and others? Um, for sure. Well, you know, the thing is that he was always very focused on the person that he spoke to. When he was talking to somebody, he was only thinking about that person. His mind is not racing going to like, well, what do I need to do next? And I think it was actually quite frustrating on the actual show because people would come visit and he would get very focused on talking to somebody and listening. And he was a great listener. So in that scene, he, you know, first he's talking to a, a young child who's got like medical problems and he's listening to the kid and everyone in the crew is waiting around to start shooting and waiting for him to finish up. And finally he finishes up and he starts with sequence but he sees Lloyd and he's like oh wait let's stop again I want to go talk to Lloyd and everyone on the set is groaning because oh here we go again we're stopping and it's a kind of fun awkward moment too for Lloyd he's the person who is stopping the production but then the the scene goes on to show um, Mr. Rogers trying to put up a tent and it's a real thing that happened where he had a trouble setting up a tent it started to make the late night shows uh, this clip of him struggling with the tent. But Mr. Rogers had like a, a good sense of humor about himself. But he, in the movie, it's an example of showing how he was okay with making a mistake. It's all right to make a mistake. And children also need to see that. And you're not going to get it right every single time. One of the things that uh, many people in, of course, in our industry and film talk about is that there's kind of what the movie seems to be about, which is Mr. Rogers and this TV show. And then there's what the, sh- the movie really is about. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the movie really is about and what the theme is? And then how did that affect your editing to know that that was the theme of the movie? Well, I think the themes of the movie are really about patience, kindness, acceptance, and understanding um, and it's also somewhat about redefining masculinity because it's about two men and two fathers and people who have, have suffered childhood trauma. And the movie allows these men to be vulnerable and, and talk about their feelings and um, to come to terms with how being a man and a father is not defined in a, in a, in a, in a, a yes-always-be-strong type of way. I was came from the show, bookended on this movie, was working on the show Succession, which I really, really enjoyed cutting, and it's really, really fun. But, you know, it's about these, like, backstabbing people. And then I went on to Mr. Rogers, where, uh, you know, it's all about acceptance and forgiveness. And, you know, Mari and I are both parents, and we really took away while we were cutting the movie, feeling like we, it was important to be for accepting and forgiving and take our time and patience and to become better listeners. I love that. And uh, you mentioned succession. That had to have been like cultural whiplash to go from one to the <laughs> other. <laughs> yes, for sure. I mean, I have to say, though, I think it's, I love working on different types of shows. 
and movies and, and alternating between television and, and film because I think it keeps you like very fresh in, in a way like you're, you're looking at this with new eyes and also just the different types of material. It's just like creatively, it's so much fun to work on all different types of material and different ways that things are shot. And these two things could not be more different. Succession, the way that it is shot, it is like the camera's always moving. There's so many cameras, so many different angles. You're always crossing the line. It's really like you're just you're cutting performance and humor and it's all very quick. I kind of joked with the showrunner, Jesse Armstrong, I said, like, well, this is a big change from, from Mr. Rogers. And he said, well, no, no, it's very similar because this is really showing people how not to act. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but like, when the, you know, the movies, Mr. Rogers was something that the pacing was so different. It was, it was important to take our time. Um, and of course, you still need drama and and pacing is hugely important and you don't want it to drag or feel slow, but it has an entirely different pace where the, the pauses and the, the scenes just have a lot of weight to them, even in the silences. Do you find that when you switched that you had to recut some of your scenes because you found that you'd cut them too much like the other pro- the previous project or did that, that not happen? Um, no, no, that definitely didn't happen. I mean, I actually did the movie... Uh, can You Ever Forgive Me with Marielle Heller? And then I did season one of Succession. Then I did Mr. Rogers, and then I did an episode in season two. So I'd already worked with Mari, but I think it's really more about, you see the footage, and the footage kind of tells you, and the script tells you about what needs to be happening. Succession is it's a drama, but it has a lot of humor. And with that kind of show, it's like, my instinct is, you know, he, this is fun, you know? Um, I guess in season two, one of the, the episodes I did was, uh, there's, there's like a rap, um, where Kendall's doing this like ridiculous rap that he's trying to impress his dad. And for me, I'm watching that rap and I'm like, I want to see what the people, what the people's reactions are and everyone's varied reactions. So, you know, that's like an instinct, like, oh, I want to see what people, how people feel. And there's like a comic instinct to it with, with the movie, it is much more like, how am I feeling here? You know, I was really putting myself in Lloyd's shoes and like trying to process how he felt meeting Mr. Rogers. It was a much more kind of personal, emotional journey cutting that movie. One of the things that you mentioned is something that comes out a lot with many editors, which is that the film kind of tells you how it, is to be cut, that the film speaks to you in a way about what needs to happen. Can you give an example or can you explain that concept uh, any more in depth than than that? Definitely. Uh, okay, so sort of a slight backstory is that, you know, uh, Lloyd is a journalist and he's been assigned to do a little profile on Mr. Rogers. And this is based on a true story of a real journalist, Tom Juno, who did a profile in Esquire of the real Fred Rogers. So uh, Lloyd's character is somebody who, you know, he's not particularly thrilled to do this profile, and he thinks that Mr. Rogers is like a hokey kid show guy. But when he goes to interview him, Mr. Rogers starts to get under his skin. And he starts to notice things about Mr. Rogers and his 
it's making him uncomfortable about things in his own life. And there's a scene where um, he's interviewed, he's already interviewed him and talked to him several times, but he, uh, Mr. Rogers invites him to his apartment. And there um, they start to discuss where Lloyd is trying to get dirt on Mr. Rogers. He's hoping he can crack him and that he can find out what, you know, is this guy for real? And as I was cutting the scene, I was thinking, like, what would it be like if it were me or when I was a kid? I remember my cynical older brothers, like, here's Mr. Rogers acting in that kind of hokey Mr. Rogers way who wants to show you puppets and, you know, and it's like these sing-song voice and, you know, this is absurd. Um, I really put myself into Lloyd's shoes. But what happens in the scene is that Mr. Rogers turns it onto Lloyd and starts to ask him questions about his own life. So Lloyd is trying to dig into Fred and Fred starts to ask him about his own life. And during that discussion, we learn of, um, you know, that there's been like some childhood trauma with, uh, with Lloyd. And you see Lloyd start to crumble a little bit. Like I absolutely put myself into Lloyd's shoes. And, and also because I had actually kind of similar childhood trauma to the character as well. Um, because the character, his mother died when he was young and that was the case for me. So I felt very, very close to Lloyd at that moment and, you know, cut the scene keeping that in mind. So what happens is Lloyd, uh, you know, starts to crumble and he gets teary and he's like, Fred is really getting under his skin, but he can't quite take it. So he turns it and like shakes it out of himself and tries to, to start getting at Fred. Um, and there's also like comic elements to the scene. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so proud of the scene is that it has so many different elements. You know, there's this sort of trauma, there's the fear and the, and the sadness that you, that's revealed by Lloyd, but then there's actually humor where Mr. Rogers is pulling out these like puppets and sort of shoving them into Lloyd's face, something that he's not expecting at all. Um, but then, you know, there's a kind of dance where Lloyd is getting upset, Fred is kind of getting into his skin, and then Lloyd turns and starts to ask Fred very difficult questions. Tom Hanks does an incredible job. Well, they both do. You see the tears in Lloyd's eyes, but then you also see, like, the hurt in Tom's eyes as Lloyd starts to ask him some very difficult questions. And you realize that, you know, it's not just all so easy for him either. He's really trying to do the right thing. He's really doing his best to be a good father. But it's a challenge to be who he is. And he talks about the difficulty with his teenage son. I've got a scene from the studio. It might be the same scene. I haven't seen the movie yet, um, but it might be a different interview where he's, he asks him about his eye, that, you know, that he got hit or something, that he has an injury. And, and, and oh, yeah. he says, oh, I thought I was interviewing you. And he goes, isn't that what we're doing? Is that? <laughs> yes. yes that's, the early, that's the first interview. That's the first time he interviews. And he thinks that he's going to just kind of get this. That's the one before this scene. Um, but yeah, I love that scene as well because it, it's the same kind of structure of that, you know, there's a kind of sparring and a dance and a lot of it is done with looks and pauses. So Fred is 
that Lloyd is engineering Fred and he thinks he's going to get the sort of standard answers and he's got this assignment and he's not particularly thrilled about. But as he asks him a difficult question, Fred turns it around back onto Lloyd and like, why do you have this black eye? You know, like he doesn't allow him to sort of escape. And and in this scene too, Matthew Reese does an incredible job because he can't quite like look away. He can't he can't shy away from the from the tough questions. He can't quite lie to Mr. Rogers when Mr. Rogers is staring right at him. And I think also that's the power of Tom Hanks too, his his games, you know, he has this look. He's really channeling Mr. Rogers by really focusing and honing in and looking and like that the empathy behind his eyes. It, you know, it's something that can't be faked. And we played around a lot with the timing of how long the pauses would be to keep the tension up, but also like not stretch it out too long. Uh, did that also play into you choosing how much or when or which reaction shots? Because you, you're, even though you're having to show someone else talking other than Mr. Rogers, you need that sense that he is truly engrossed in listening to them. And so how do you represent that in a film cut? Yes, yes, for sure. We're always playing around with, uh, you know, the, the reaction shots and the pauses. And then, of course, like on any movie, I mean, you're an editor, too. There's always, like, so much more material, you know? Like, the first cut of the movie is always substantially longer. Than- how long was your first assembly, and then how long is the final movie? I think the final movie is about an hour 49 with credit. And I think the first cut was a good 45 minutes longer than that. You know, and of course, it's not just like we're removing, only removing things because you're lengthening some places as well. But you're always trying to boil down the scene to what's important and what keeps you engaged. And, you know, sometimes it's powerful to have a longer pause to know what was done at the time, or the scene will be more interesting if you remove lines from it, you know, even occasionally adding a line, uh, like an ADR or something, but like, you're always kind of shaping the scenes and shaping the, the story, and you're always having to kind of reshape the beginning of the movie on almost every movie I've ever worked on. It's always a setup that you're, <laughs> that you're working on the most. Exactly, yeah. That when you say, oh, we had to cut 45 minutes out of the entire movie, you know, that you have to cut out half of that amount of time out of the first 20 minutes or something like that. It's crazy. What was it that you were trying to get to? What was a moment at the beginning that you were trying to, like, we have to get to this sooner. What was that moment in this movie? Well, it was absolutely, we needed to get to the moment where Fred meets Lloyd. You know, we needed to see the two of them meet. That is the sort of the crux. The, the whole movie is their relationship and you don't want to wait too long. Now, that said, you know, as, as you know as well, we're always cutting out a lot of the beginning, but you kind of hope that they do shoot a lot of the beginning because you don't want to have not enough set up either because you need to know who the character is. You need to set up the story. And if you have nothing there, it's, it's not going to work, you know? So, I mean, you want to cut it's too long. Because sometimes people say, like, well, how long is the assembly? And you say, it's like, oh, it's two and a half hours, hours long. And then we're like, oh, no, what are you going to do? And the truth is you want a lot of material because you want to be able to hone it down and choose all the best parts and have some choices there. I mean, it's the same with Succession. Those, those episodes are about an hour long, and 
you know, the first cut is always like an hour and a half, sometimes longer, and it's always really difficult what to cut out, but because there's so much good material, that means you're boiling down to something that you feel really strongly works. Yeah, and it's it's like Michelangelo with a piece of granite, right? If the if the shape of that granite was almost the same size and shape as the David, you'd be stuck with that shape. But if you've got a bigger piece of marble, you can choose the pose. Absolutely, yeah. You're that's a great analogy. Yeah, for sure. You know, you need something to work with. You need something to shape, um, and then you know you find that you're using pieces. Not so much in this movie, but like, you know, you're using pieces from something earlier, you might put later, and, you know, you want material to work with. Otherwise, you're kind of like, whoa, we're going to have a 40-minute movie here, you know? <laughs> when when did the two of them meet in the movie, approximately? Oh, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I, you meet Fred in the opening scene, which is the opening of the TV show. I think it's probably about 10, 15 minutes in. You said you'd worked with the director before, but you also said that you had this similar experience to one of the uh, characters in the movie. Is that something you discussed with the director? Or if you were trying to win this job from a director that you hadn't known before, would you say, I had the same experience, you know, I lost my mom just like this character lost their mom? You know, I don't know that I would have shared something so personal, like in an interview, I think in an interview, I would be very much focused on the script and the story in front of me. I think it was something that I shared with the director while during the time that we were working on the other movie, and it sort of naturally came up in conversation. And, you know, I feel that it kind of definitely helped me work on a movie about loss. Absolutely, I could... uh, I could relate, you know. There, there's a line in the movie where um, Mr. Rogers turns to Lloyd and said, I'm sure if she saw you today, what you have become, she would be proud of you. And it is something that always resonates with me when I watch the movie. I mean, I got to tell you, I watch this movie like a thousand times and I still get choked up <laughs> at different parts in the movie. But I would say like in, a, in, a, um, in an interview, I probably wouldn't bring so much of my life experience but I would talk very much focused on what the script is about and what, and what I think of it is in terms of a story, you know? In my interview about the film The Goldfinch with Kelly Dixon, she said that when she interviewed for that gig, she mentioned to the director that, you know, similarly to the main character in her movie, she had been orphaned when her mother died at a similar age and had been taken in by her mother's family, but uh, she felt like she was always a guest or almost an intruder. In some ways, bringing up trauma is a, is a conversation stopper yeah, because it takes somebody a minute to have it sink in. But I would say that Fred Rogers is somebody who would say, talk about these things. <laughs> you know, it's partly the message of the movie is this is part of life and it's something you, you discuss, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned something that definitely is me for sure when I'm watching, because I've worked on some kind of tearjerker movies. And every time I watch a, a particular scene. I'll, I'll cry. It'll choke me up. Do you think that that's part of being an editor is having that emotional connection? I think so, for sure. I think that people who are drawn to editing, you know, you need to have a sense of empathy, you know, you need to be empathetic to your characters and you need to kind of be able to put yourself in the shoes of the person 
in the scene. Like sometimes like when you're looking at, you're cutting between two people, you think like, how does this line make this person feel? You're choosing emotional performances and you need to be able to kind of relate to those emotions. I think, I would say that Marielle Heller is somebody who is an incredibly uh, empathetic and very much attuned to people's emotions as a director. To be a good editor, you need to be able to understand emotion. Yeah, that, that term of empathy, I think, is a huge one. There's a scene where Fred calls um, the, the reporter and instead gets his girlfriend who's in bed with him and <laughs> and he talks to her and, and knows her name and all of this stuff. Can you talk to me, to me about that scene and choosing the shots that you chose because there are very specific shots at very specific moments of course as there are in every scene but can you talk to me about that scene and kind of shot selection and and when to be on various shots in that scene uh lloyd is coming out of a, a dream sequence which was something we kind of came up with in the editing room to kind of really get the sense that uh, tom was getting in his head and we just we dissolved from a little puppet of daniel tiger to Lloyd, uh, like a close-up of Lloyd tossing and turning. And then we pop out to the wide, which is like, okay, now he's out of the dream because the phone call is interrupting his sleep. Um, and Andrea's in bed with him, and it's a wider shot. You know, it's kind of funny we're talking about empathy because empathy can be relative to emotion, but it can also be relative to humor where you want to search for takes where you feel like, you know, I've been in that situation. Like she's awesome. She's confronted with speaking to somebody who's famous <laughs> and she gets, uh, you know, nervous and excited and like, oh my God, he knows my name. Empathy can relate to comedy as well in the, in the sense of like, I've been in that kind of incredibly awkward situation or I've made that mistake. And then the coverage goes to Fred in his kitchen the cinematographer, Jody Lee Leipz, is like he's, he's got an incredible eye and, and, and for color, too. He played around a lot with, like, browns and blues in this movie. And Fred's in his kitchen, which is very blue. And there were, like, various sizes on him. I remember a wide shot that pushes in and then a profile, like a somewhat intimate profile up on his face. And then we cut back to uh, Lloyd's close-up and we do a kind of... Uh, prelapse to the concert hall. I'm really fascinated. I use prelapse myself. I, I love the use of them and why you use them. Is there a particular reason, especially in that instance? Why, and, and that's not part of the clip that I have, but why you chose to prelap into that uh, concert hall? Well, um, we're going to a whole new location. He's surprised. They, you know, it's also the kind of the humor of, this older guy calling him ridiculously early in the morning and waking him up, <laughs> he and his wife in bed, you know, the way that your parents do or something. And uh, so the prelap of, is the music that he's invited uh, Lloyd to the concert hall to hear the Uptown, Uptown String Quartet, which is a real quartet. There was an actual episode on the original show, Mr. Rogers, where they played. Um, so mimicking that, He's invited him, and there's sort of like a shorthand too. It's like you don't want to. He says, "I want you to come down and let's let's talk again." You're jumping to a new location. You're jumping to an entirely different scene where you're going to be on stage and sing 
wonderful musician to play. So we're pre-lapping the first note of the song that they play, which is a kind of a jarring, strong chord. And it's a way of making a big leap to another place without um, having to see him get dressed, get on the train, go up to the <laughs> go up to the concert and uh, still making language where you don't have to show all the shoe leather but also like it's cool like it's, it's a cool song and it's completely different new characters and new location so I feel like sometimes the pre-lap really works to kind of leap you into another situation um, you mentioned, and I have to ask about this now, <laughs> you mentioned the fact that you came up, you know, whether it's you, you of course, you and the director came up with this idea in post of having a dream sequence before the scene with the, um, you know, where Fred calls in the morning. Can you talk to me about how and why that decision was made? And that was not in the script? Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, we felt that, and, and I have to give total credit to Mari for this because she was the one who came up with this idea, was that we really wanted to sort of illustrate how Tom was getting under Lloyd's skin and how, like, it was resonating with him about his childhood trauma. Like, he had these interviews with him and um, he was doing a lot of research, watching shows, and we had, like, fun clips of, um, and, and also showing like what an incredible person Fred Rogers was, um, you know, bits from the, from when he was on Oprah and what he talked about childhood uh, trauma and childhood education. But like we wanted to, so he'd been watching all this and then we wanted to show that he was getting under his skin. So we went into this little dream sequence and we used little bits of pieces of the movie and bits of the show that we didn't actually like scenes that had been listed um, kind of creating this sort of imaginative dream sequence and then also it was an opportunity to show uh, some of the puppets from the original show that weren't in the movie and I know that the people are like very attached to all the different puppets that um, Mr. Rogers had on the actual show uh, so it was kind of fun and great to be able to sort of introduce them and have them uh, have them turn up, but like it, it really was to illustrate that this interview was getting more complicated for Lloyd, and it, it wasn't easy for him, and it was making him think in a different way. It's so interesting that you mentioned about the dream sequence being created in post production because. Um, in Arrival, they did the exact same thing where to show that the, the aliens were getting under the, the scientist's skin, uh, they created a dream sequence that was not in the script and it was just done in post. Um, so I, I love that, uh, that the solution was the same for, uh, for this movie. That's really interesting. Well, I think that, you know, as editors, you're always trying to come up with different ways to use great footage and to kind of create more beats and moments places where it's important in the in the movie thank you so much for giving me so much time today i really appreciate it this has been a wonderful talk i think a lot of people will get a lot out of it thank you for joining me oh thank you so much steve it's an honor to be on the show thanks for listening to the art of the cut podcast also check out provideocoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors, for a topic-driven, curated experience. 
Thanks again to my guest, Anne McCabe, ACE. I'm Steve Holfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, give us a like and a share, leave a comment, and make sure to tell a filmmaking friend.